Thank you, David. As Jerry Indy is coming up, um, during our stewardship series, we hope to have uh, a number of testimonies. And so I'm really thankful for Jerry, willing to speak to the congregation about what God's been speaking to her about recently. Thank you, Pastor. Um, good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be here and to be a member of Chapelwood. Um, I think about 10 years now, maybe longer. I, I brought a pair of tennis shoes um, because lots of times I spend my time running from God. These are the tennis shoes that I use. I have a sense of humor, okay. Um, one of the reasons I go to church maybe is so that I don't want to run from some things God wants me to do. Uh, so I, um, 67 years old, I retired after 22 years and um, uh, in the criminal justice system, actually 32, and now I'm getting a different job description that I'm trying to listen to, God is telling me to do. So I volunteered to do a little testimony, and I don't know where that came from, because last night, for the last couple days, I, I was like, why did I do that? I, what, what in the world was I thinking? Because I didn't realize, Peter, how tough your job is, and Thea, how tough your job is. I didn't realize it, I mean it. I thought you just got up there and said what you wanted to say to us, now, don't get me wrong, I really do. I took it right. No, you actually, you said something to me, Pastor. Ask the Holy Spirit what he would like you to say. Oh, okay. That means I actually have to listen and have to seek what he is telling me to say or the best I could hear it. So I wanted to talk just real briefly about, I'm here today because uh, my mom, Cheryl, she forced, let's call it forced, uh, made my brothers and I, go to Catholic school, Catholic church. I went for nine years, and I went to mass. I think, um, I don't have PTSD, I don't know. Uh, it's a joke, okay? I, every day, I think, uh, in school, okay? I heard, back then, you didn't read the Bible uh, when I was growing up. It wasn't encouraged, and it was, I'm so grateful that changed. So it's encouraged, and, but I heard the sermons read about Lazarus. I heard that every morning. So, um, that rubs off. And as I see the Lake Jackson community all these years, I drive by softball fields, I drive by soccer fields, I drive by baseball fields, I drive by taekwondo studios, and all of you are teaching your children. All of you I see are cheering for your children and there's soccer coaches and there's Chick-fil-A when you can get through the line. Um, uh, there's Chick-fil-A being delivered by some other family member. And, and you want them to go to the best schools they can possibly go to, no matter what your choice is on that. And you want the teachers to know what they're doing and you want to know what they're being taught because you care about them having a foundation and how important that foundation is. You would, there would be no doctors or lawyers or pastors or teachers or homemakers, the greatest moms and dads in the world or insurance agents or businessmen or women or nurses if there wasn't someone to teach them how to do it. We can't just sit at home and instantaneously think we're going to know how to do it. So we find a good foundation. And so, um, and we pay for it. How many, how many still have dance costumes left in your closets because you can't bear it? You paid so much for them, you don't know what to do. And you think that maybe somebody will still want the dance outfit or something, or at least you're going to give it to them. Somebody's going to take it. You equipped them for what they needed to do. You bought the equipment. And, um, and that is the church, you know, I, I thought, what, what am I to say? You know, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. 
And Jesus talks about the rock that when the storms come, is your house built upon that rock when the, when the storms and the floods? And I don't know about any of you, but I can tell you, I met the Lord again recently in the hurricane, okay? I did because I hadn't experienced winds like that because you evacuate. And this time I realized that was just a tap. God reminded me of his power and, and, uh, and the power of prayer right then. The foundation. So we, I had a friend call me recently, and whenever they call me Geraldine, I know it's serious. Geraldine, and it's in a neighboring county. She said, my church is closing. The church I was baptized in, was a Methodist church, she goes, is, is closing. Geraldine, I was going to have my vows again there. My church is closing. And okay, I'm on a level with you. I'm, I'm old. You know, this old thing is not as easy as it looks, I'm thinking, okay? I thought by the time you got to a certain age, things got easier. No. Every one of us is here for a reason, whether you're eight or you're 80. Whether you're eight or you're 80, there's something God still wants you to do. And you're, you haven't done your time. You know how you see the shirt, I'm retired, do it yourself. You haven't done your time you still have things left to do for God. Um, and it's our job to figure out what they are. But I'm, I'm going to say to you, it dawned on me, what if I turned the corner and there was no chapel wood? Because I'm going to say to you, when Jesus said, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, he said something really interesting after that. I thought, what does he mean? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I thought, what is this hell gates coming for the church? Well, I'm going to level with you. You know, I know there's politically correct things we're not supposed to say. Like, I don't know if I can use the word devil. I believe that the devil exists. We call him the enemy. The devil exists, and his job is to destroy our churches. Because where two or more are gathered in his name, he is in the midst of them, and Satan knows the power of that. On our prayer list, I'm going to call and re-add a friend of, of one of my kids who is battling severe cancer in their 20s. Our prayers matter for those people. God hears them, and they're powerful, and he answers them. Sometimes he doesn't answer them in the exact way we want, but he answers every one of them. And sometimes we see miracles here on earth besides those in heaven that come. And what if Chapelwood didn't exist? We are in incredible times, exciting times. I was so excited, I'm so excited to see this baptism and the other baptism. Uh, how are we gonna do the great commission of going and making disciples of all men um, without a church? Now, many, some of you have people in your family, I know I do, wonderful people, who know you go to church and who tell you that they believe in God, but they don't need to go to church. Now, I judge no one. I believe me, I've done enough judging in my life and God has dealt with me on that, okay? <laughs> Judge not, lest ye be judged. You'll get it handed right back to you. But I'm saying to you, I think the lie of our common, of our society now is that it's me, myself, and I, our cell phones, our selfie. You can do this by yourself. You don't need anyone else. The commercial that I find very telling about our society, how many of you have seen the lady in the Zillow commercial? The lady that's going to sell her house and Zillow's going to do it? Zillow, anxiety me, anxious me, stressed out me, relax me, and at the end it says me, 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 me. No, it is the opposite. And that is what's being preached. We are, it is being projected to us that I believe in God and I judge no one when I say that, but I don't need church. Well, we can't do it by ourselves. How would we know what to, 
what we should. And we need others to tell us. We need others to help us, and we need each other. So if we rounded the corner, we are under such serious assault, and I will finish with this. We lived through and are living through a pandemic that's coming to an end, thank God. But I wonder what a toll it has taken on God's church, and I know who's responsible for that. This pandemic to stop us from meeting together is a serious assault on our churches, and some of them have not survived. I am so grateful when I drove in the parking lot two weeks ago and I saw so many people here. It was wonderful. You're not, I, I, I started to long for that, which, you know, pastor, half the time I come to church and I'm thinking, what's he going to tell me? Uh-huh. Okay. How many of you sit like that saying, I'm come today because I'm supposed to? Yes. Jesus, it's a command. Forsake not. As parents, you've done the same thing because I said so. Because God said so. I am so grateful that chapel would exist and I, as a person, sometimes forget to be grateful. I, I, if I wrestle with one thing, it's that I take things for granted. And I have taken for granted that this and other churches will always exist. And what we have seen as they are under serious assault, they will not if we don't stand by them. And so uh, and during this pledge time, you know, I'm a stubborn person. I hate to sign a pledge card. I didn't do it last year. I'm confessing, okay? I'm confessing in front of the whole I did, because I'm stubborn, okay? I'm just that stubborn. I was raised by a mother who defied all medical advice and ate before surgery because no one was going to tell her what to do. Mom, that was smart with anesthesia, okay? She is the same woman who had a massive heart attack when I was at a seminar years ago while my husband was home and told my husband she had the flu and didn't go to the hospital till the next day. So I come from a stubborn lot. So, you know, there are some things we have to, that we have to and we should do. So you may see a pledge card. Um, ask God what it is that he wants from you, whether it's time, talent, whether it's financial resources, Pray about it and listen for the answer. I'm not a great listener either. So if I get anything across, I remember my brother saying, did you know mom had an automatic withdrawal for $35 to Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic Church? So the 83-year-old woman at the time she died still gave what she could. I want our churches to continue and I want to let you know that we can't do it by ourselves, and, um, and that's all that society projects, that you can do it by yourself. Jesus told us otherwise, and I appreciate the time that you've given me. Thank you. Thank you. My time is yours. Thank you. Wow, what an act to have to follow. Thank you, Jerry. That was wonderful. Uh, please join me in the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. O oh God, who speaks your law is perfect, reviving the soul. Your commandment is clear, enlightening the eyes. May your spirit illuminate this word, that our eyes may be opened and our souls revived. In Jesus' name we pray. Our scripture reading today is from Deuteronomy six through ten. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, 
whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I have to confess, growing up, uh, I thought to myself that um, the Old Testament told stories about people who were just not as smart as you and I, right? I'm just gonna be honest, right? Growing up, I thought, wow, these Israelites really don't get it. You know, they, they would um, make idols, right, out of wood or metal, they'd set up an altar in their homes, and, and even I could tell, as like an eighth grader, you know, that God said, don't do that, right? And they still did it. And I thought, wow, I really hope over time we get a little smarter with this faith stuff. And, and then I saw a video that reminded me that maybe I'm not so fancy after all. I want to share that video with you. I just want to say no one could have really planned <clears throat> that this would be the morning that we wake up going to the World Series. <laughs> just, if it wouldn't really destroy my credibility, I'd say go Astros. Then again, maybe I'm not so different from the Israelites, and maybe you aren't either. Maybe this idea of putting uh, something in front of us that can bring us happiness and joy, something that we can invest all of our lives in that's not so difficult and vulnerable as, say, following God, maybe we're just not as different from the Israelites as I thought I was. When we look at our scripture today, it's not the best crowd pleaser, right? Reminding people if you screw up, God will punish you t your children to the fourth generation is, is never, you know, it doesn't necessarily grow the crowd, if you will. But, but I want to give some context here. I don't know about you, but for me, reading the Old Testament often feels as if I'm reading the same story two or three times, right? If you go to Genesis uh, this afternoon, um, you can read um, uh, two complete stories of Noah's Ark, right? Um, in one, um, um, uh, Noah uh, gets um, pairs of every animal, right? It's, it's kind of the one that you see on the nursery wall if you ever walk into like someone's new nursery that they're ready for, right? It's the animals go two by two, right? There's a whole different um, uh, story, a retelling of it, where there are um, uh, the two by two, but then um, if you get the stories mixed up, Noah, after he's preserved through the flood, he slaughters and sacrifices one of each type of animal, <laughs> which if you're the one that read the two by two, you're thinking, no, that defeats the whole purpose, right? Anyways, sometimes when I read the Old Testament, there are multiple tellings of a story. So it may be that when we were reading Deuteronomy, when Anne was reading our scripture today, you might thought, hey, wait, this is that Ten Commandments thing. But that Ten Commandments thing happens in Exodus, not in Deuteronomy. So why are we getting a repeat? 
But why, you know, is this, there wasn't a new episode, and so um, God just went ahead and repeated one of the older episodes so that, you know, maybe we'd get the story. Actually, Deuteronomy happens. Moses is the last of his generation. God has rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, delivered them across the Red Sea into the promised land. They have, um, they're about to go into the promised land, but everyone, because you remember they wandered in the desert for 40 years, um, essentially for a generation. And so this is a new generation. And so here, Moses is saying, before we go into the promised land, I want you to know that this covenant that your ancestors agreed to is not a covenant for the dead, but a covenant for the living. And so you too need to lean into this expectation, this idea here that God has a, a, an agreement with us. I don't know if you knew this, but covenant in the Hebrew um, actually comes from the root word to cut. This agreement, right, where you do this and I do this and we together will succeed and prosper together. Um, the root word there is to cut, which seems weird until you go back to that original story where Abram and God are making the original co covenant. Uh, the one about, um, if you will follow me, I will make your ancestors as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. You remember that one, right? Um, in that story, go back and read it, um, Abram and a, a burning pot of flame walk through the halves of animals that have been slaughtered. Uh, covenant means to cut because the original covenant idea was that if you violate our agreement, may what happened to these animals happen to you to cut. Right? So here, Moses is inviting this new generation of Israelites as they walk into the promised land to take up the covenant, the agreement again. And notice how God talks about um, this agreement, right? Um, uh, the scripture begins, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Full stop. Most times, nine out of ten times in the Old Testament, the way that God begins a conversation is to say, um, uh, is to not say, hey, here, here's my name and my name tag, but instead to say, here's what I've done. If you remember in Genesis, uh, um, the, the, the tagline was, um, I am the living God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's like saying, I am the God of your father, your grandfather, and your great-grandfather. You know who I am because of my relationship with your family. And here, you get a beautiful picture, right? God describing God's self out of what God's done. I am the Lord your God, the one who delivered you out of the house of slavery. It's a powerful words, right? Because anytime, you know, somebody comes to you and says, I've got rules for you, I have to agree, um, Jerry, I think I come from a long line of stubborn people as well. Um, you know, so if someone's going to give me some rules, you better tell me why I should follow and the follow should either be because you're so powerful you can make me do it, or you might remind me of the fact that I am standing here because of your great love and generosity in my life, and that because of that, maybe following your guidance for my life could be good. So God says who he, who he is, and then God gives the first rule. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. 
you shall have no other gods before me. In the days of ancient Israel, it was very common uh, for the Israelites to pick up cultural gods around them, um, uh, gods that would kind of help them with life, okay? Um, so Baal, the, the god uh, Baal, um, uh, was often prayed to for weather um, or for prosperity. Um, the god Ashtaroth was often prayed to for romance um, or just straight out more physical intimacy and no romance with it, right? There was a God for everything. And so you prayed to these gods so as to make that outcome happen more quickly for you. Now, uh, that first rule, you shall have no other gods before me. Before me, the Hebrew there before me is to my face. You shall have no other gods to my face, right? Sometimes we think, oh, well, uh, God is in charge, but I'm just going to do some add-ons, right? I'm just going to add a little bit of um, hedge my bet um, to make sure that life is prosperous and wonderful. But here in Deuteronomy, God says, no, no, no other gods before me, in front of me, no other gods to my face, and no other gods that you are related to. Um, the Old Testament describes having uh, something that you invest your life in other than God to be idolatry. And um, Paul loves to talk, especially in the, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, about the power and danger of idolatry. I'm always reminded that the Corinthians were kind of the new rich in, um, uh, in the Roman Empire. They had come into new money and they were spending it all over the place, right? And, and they were so excited because they had such lives of leisure that they could show up to worship uh, before everybody else did. And they would eat all the good food before other people got there because they had to work, right? And so Paul is saying, idolatry, that your money doesn't save you, that a relationship with a God who loves you does. And then there's the second rule, do not make for yourself a carved image, nor bow down to it. And um, so the commandment isn't just about having a false god that you place next to um, the Lord your God, but also don't make an image. Now this is something that's throughout um, kind of uh, Israelite um, Old Testament um, religion. Um, don't make a, a, a picture of God. Don't make an image of God, right? Remember when they bring uh, Jesus the coin and they say, look, you know, it's, you know, Caesar is on the coin. What should we do? Uh, they say we should pay taxes. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus says, if he loves it so much that he put his face on it, give it back to him. And, and the underlying thing there is, because God loved you so much that God put God's image on you. So give yourself back to God. Render under Caesar what is Caesar's, right? You remember that. Do not make for yourself a graven image. Do not carve yourself. Do not bow down to it. I think it's interesting, right? Worship requires an idealized image. Uh, and it's so easy for us to um, be... Um, overwhelmed with idealized images. I'm amazed at uh, high school kids these days. High school kids can spot a Photoshop fake quicker than I can. I'll look at a picture and go, wow, they say that you can get that view just three streets over, right? <laughs> My kid's like, is Photoshop, dad? 
And I'm like, really? You know, uh, it, it, it's amazing. These idealized images. Our children are learning how to spot the fakes, but we're still kind of stuck wanting the idealized image. Idolatry is this idealized image that, that we think if we invest everything in it, it will save us. We think that if we pour all of our lives into it, it will rescue us. But the idol never says who it is. The idol never says, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you up out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. No, the idealized image just makes a faint promise to you that things might be different. We look at that second rule, um, you know, this idea of not a graven image. You even see Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, when he's there with the woman at the well, right? She's gone at noon to get water. No one goes at noon to get water because it's the hottest part of the day and no one else goes to get water at noon because if you want to get water from the well, you might want to have a couple of people to help you pull that bucket up to get the water and to gather it and to carry it back to the village. And so Jesus is there at noon, and the woman uh, comes to get her water, and they have a conversation. Do you remember? She says, my people have been worshiping on this mountain for generations. She's saying is that we don't worship in the temple. And Jesus says, well, you're kind of right, because God is spirit, and we worship God in spirit and in truth. There's this moment where the outcast woman who's had too many husbands, and Jesus, who's just trying to find a quiet moment, they overlap. And the one thing they agree on is that you don't need to be in a particular place or to see a particular image to worship the God who gives life. Now, in this passage, it also says, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, I, last time I read the gifts of the Spirit, um, fruits of the Spirit, jealousy was not one of them, right? L love, peace, patience, kindness, forgiveness, um, gratitude, uh, um, self-control. I was close. I don't know, ooh, like that's, do you ever have this problem? I have this problem um, sometimes when I say I know something and I've known it for my whole life since I was in the third grade, and then I stand before a group of people and go to repeat it, and I forget one. But jealousy, we can agree, isn't in that one, Right? So what does it mean to say, for God to say, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God? I like to think of God's love, uh, God's jealousy is love in action. That God isn't jealous because, ooh, you shouldn't be spending time with that other person, right? That was the experience in junior high, right? When one friend wanted to spend time with another friend, but another friend got in the way and you go, ooh, we can't all spend time together. I'm jealous. You have to spend time with me and no one else not God. God is jealous for us. God knows the implications of pouring your life out into a graven image, to an empty idol, to something that cannot deliver on the idea of liberty and happiness and faithfulness and generosity. And so when God is jealous for us, he's jealous because he's like, ah, ah, ah. It's not um, this kind of um, possessiveness that we think about. It's love in action. God is jealous for us. So if we define idols as anything that you give your life to, anything that's not God, that you pour your life into, that you make the most important part of your pursuit of life, that you um, put every hour, every moment, every hope, every dream into that one thing, 
That's what we would call idolatry. And so I wonder, what are the things that we struggle with? Where are the places where today that there are um, unsuspecting idols, that it might be good for us just to raise our awareness? I, I firmly believe that we, um, we wander around in the dark until someone turns the light on. And at first, you know, if you've ever been, you know, in the dark, someone turns on a bright light, you, you have to figure out what's real and what's not for a few moments, right? But once your eyes adjust to the light, you start seeing things for the way they are. So let's just turn on the light, and then over the next couple of weeks, let our eyes adjust as we think about where we place our trust and our hope I just want to give you three suggestions for unsuspecting idols in our culture today. One is um, success at work. Now, I am a good Protestant, and we should work hard all the time because that's important. Productivity is a good thing. But have you ever noticed that sometimes you can get stuck in the idea that if I just work more, if I just do a, you know, above and beyond what the boss asks me to do, um, if I just work a little bit harder than everybody else, maybe I will be more secure and more safe and get a promotion, right? But the promotion might not come with pay. It might not even come with title. It might only come with the warm, fuzzy feeling that at least you're not the person at the front desk having to do all the menial tasks. That this career advancement can become an idol that sucks away our time from our family, that can suck away our own energy from our lives, that when um, we have no day of rest, when we do not take all the vacation that's awarded to us, when we never have an opportunity to think about life without work being there, it may become an idol for us, friends. One of the things that makes me think this might be an idol for us is that um, the the highest susceptibility for suicide among married men who are um, in retirement age, if you add in, if they're empty nesters, that's where suicide can be the highest. Because it's a loss of purpose and it's a loss of connection. Because you're no longer at work um, doing what you were uh, doing for 40 years and you're no longer at home having a place uh, of raising a kiddo and being a part of a family. And so that loss of meaning can become a difficult thing. Career success. Uh, another one that I want to talk about, and uh, I'm sorry, it's a stewardship sermon. I just have to talk about wealth just for a moment. L let's be honest, right? God wants us to survive and thrive, but sometimes we chase the elusive enough. But when is enough, right? I'll just work a little bit harder. I'll work a few more years. I'll work a, a second job. I'll just keep doing until I have enough. What is enough? That, that wealth is a challenging thing. We're, if we're constantly looking at ways to make an extra dollar, even at the expense of others, if you are constantly thinking about, um, well, you know, at Sunday school, I can pitch a product to my uh, Sunday school class, right? Or um, I, it, one guy came to know Jesus because he went on the men's retreat when um, uh, at the Woodlands. I, I was uh, just old enough to go to the men's retreat. I thought I was really cool because I was just in college. But um, he, he was selling everybody throughout the men's retreat until we got to the end and we asked for people to stand up and give a testimony. And he uh, broke down 
realizing that all of these other men were here to learn and serve, learn about Jesus and to serve God, and he came to make an extra dollar. Sometimes that pursuit of money beyond what we really need can become an idol that makes our lives empty and turns our uh, families and friends into the opportunity to make another sell. The last idol I want to present to you is this idea of image. Now, I'm not talking about the Photoshop image. I'm talking about this idea around image, this perception. And I think it comes from all of our investment in social media, um, this curated ability um, to make our Facebook feed look just right. You know, I, um, I try really hard not to look at Facebook um, because it only reminds me that you have such wonderful lives and I don't, right? 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 I mean, are you familiar with this, right? Like no one posts on Facebook and says, I've had a horrible day, right? My car broke. The mechanic didn't give me a discount. I had to walk back home, right? No one puts this on Facebook, right? They talk about their darling child or spouse or how beautiful their backyard is or right, whatever, you know? I, ah. What's hard about the idol of image is that we will do everything possible, right? We're the most litigious society right now. The most litigious society, right? Um, in seminary now, they have classes how not to get stuck in slander and libel as a religious leader. Can we just take a pause right there, right? I mean, it is amazing. Our image is so important to us they were even willing to sever relationships, to cut off family members, and to even sue people in our community who say the wrong words about us. If we are pouring our whole lives into the image of who we are, we may have missed what God's calling us to do. I, I wanna invite you over the next four weeks I want to invite you to um, come along with me and ask the question, what would happen if we truly put God first in all aspects of our lives? What, what if we together spent some time thinking about what would it be like to put God first in everything? What would it be like for us to um, turn the lights on, let our eyes adjust, to be willing to spot the shiny little distractions that convince us that there's an easy route, that convince us that being vulnerable to a God isn't worth it. What would it be like for us to spend a little time over the next four weeks choosing not to chase the elusive enough and instead slowly practicing what it means to allow the giver of life to offer us freedom to offer us peace and to help us reassess our priorities. I hope that you'll join me as we walk together seeking to put God first. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.